Welcome to the Salt Company Cedar Falls Podcast. We're a ministry of Candeo Church, and we are glad you're listening. Amen. All right. I, uh, I'm low-key interested. Who you guys think is going to win the uh, volleyball tournament? Let's just get it out of the way now of who we all know isn't going to win. Yeah, we all knew it. It's not going to be the freshmen. And look, none of the freshmen made a noise, and so that just validates it. It's not, with that kind of excitement, guys, it's not going to be you. This is a volleyball tournament. And freshmen, you have no idea what you're about to step into. It is, it is insane. Uh, last year, I had to run with good old, I forget what Nick's commentator name was, but let's just say there's going to be a reappearance of rich Iron Hills. And uh, he'll be joined by a new commentator, new, new commentator in the booth this year. Chet? Are we going with Chet? Chet Steele? Chet Steele is jumping in. Good old Dalton Schaefer in the commentator booth, letting NASA know that Alicia Rush is their missing rocket. Nobody understood that. Alicia Rush serves volleyball so hard that NASA called they're missing their rocket. Those will be the, that's the sort of quality commentating you should be expecting from the volleyball tournament. Things like that, things like good old Chet Steele saying like there was a volleyball that was hit. Statements like that that just enhance the experience, the overall experience of volleyball. As if volleyball needed enhanced, am I right? It's already fascinating as it is. Clearly, this is a huge volleyball ministry. Maybe we should rethink what sport. Ping pong, is that what people like these days? Could you, could you imagine six-player ping pong? Like, that'd be hilarious. Like, six seniors on one side, six freshmen on another, just getting smoked because freshmen. Okay, freshmen, we love you. We can't wait to see what you uh, attempt to do on the volleyball court when you are smoked by the seniors at 1.30 on Saturday. Guys, it is great to be back. Uh, last week, Natalie and I got to go down to Florida to visit one of our church plants. If you are newer to our ministry, one of the things that our church is so passionate about is seeing new churches started in university centers. And so we got to go down to Salt Church in Gainesville, Florida at the University of Florida, and it was so energizing. It was so encouraging. It is just an incredible experience getting into a new church and seeing God powerfully work. So we were just in this kind of old fellowship hall that was like annexed off of this church that they like hadn't used for years and they allowed Salt Company to meet in it. And so there's like things hanging from the ceiling. There's speakers going out. There's like a toy and a closet for kids to go play with during nursery time. But it was amazing in the midst of all that to just see over a hundred students worshiping God. A hundred students that wouldn't have been gathered a couple years ago, now gathering as people from our church and other churches have gone to leverage their life to see a new church be planted. It was just overwhelming how exciting and encouraging it is. And I want every single person to experience it. Even if you end up not moving completely to another church, at some point, find out where a new church is has been planted and just 
make a trip on a Sunday. Even if you skip a Thursday, do it. Just drive off. When Illinois State starts next year, that's only four hours away. Drive down there one Thursday night, drive down there one Sunday, and just get a taste of what God is doing across our nation. And so it was an incredible experience. We got to do their fall retreat. And there were multiple times when I was overcome with tears. Multiple times when I was overwhelmed as I watched these laborers for the gospel, our brothers and sisters just leveraging their life for the sake of Christ. It was incredible. But I also was overwhelmed at tears at times because I have had some friends, a friend go down there who now is in a terrible spot, who's not following Jesus in the way he would call him to. And here's the reality as I was kind of down there is I've been in this network now for about 10 years. I've been, I joined Salt Company in 2012 as a freshman. And over the last 10 years, I've seen God do some incredible things. But I've also seen people that I was incredibly close to walk away from it all. And that was just this sinking feeling as I was down there to see what God is doing and yet know that people in this room will walk away at some point that there are friends that you are growing in relationship with in connection groups that 10 years from now won't be in the same spot that you think they are now. Now that's not to cause suspicion to arise about everybody in this room and trying to assess like, oh, do you think that person or that person? No, but what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to call our minds back to the sermon we heard a couple weeks ago from Rudy. What soil are you? Are you the soil that's going to be pulled away by the cares of this world? Or are you going to be the soil that continually comes back to the freshness of the gospel? And so guys, tonight, what I want to do is I want to open up a parable that's going to cause us to assess how we are looking at the things in our lives how we are looking at our life as a whole and what we value. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 tonight. If you want to begin to turn there in your Bibles, if you just got a Bible app, pull that up. Otherwise, it will be on the screen. And as you guys are flipping there, here's a kind of a hypothetical story. So Natalie and I have been married. We got married in April 2016, and it was a great wedding. And we did two things right at our wedding. There was maybe other things, but they become kind of my hobby horse for weddings. Number one, when you have a wedding, hire a professional DJ. There's a lot of things that people are tempted to cut corners on. I'm telling you, a professional DJ is not one of them. First, they're a lot cheaper than you'd imagine they are. And second, they add significantly to the overall experience and mood of the wedding. So that's like a literal hobby horse that if you do pre-marriage counseling with me, I'm going to tell you like, all right, who's your DJ? Let's get that like knocked out right now. That is probably the most important thing, place we need to start. Guys, professional DJs are very important. Saturday night, Space Cowboys. I'm not a professional, but I take... DJing very seriously, and I hope that is revealed as DJ Rough Around the Edges mixes some tapes, okay? You're going to see the level of intensity I take DJing with. That's number one, hire a professional DJ. There's a second professional you need to hire, absolutely a second professional you need to hire, and that is a photographer. Your roommate from college who owns a camera, no, not at all. Now, here's the thing with a, with a photographer, it is very tempting to try to like figure out a cheaper route because they are expensive, but it is totally worth it because everything from Natalie and I's wedding over the last five years has been tucked in a closet. And I think she's maybe pulled her dress out one time to look at it, but otherwise we only have photos. 
That's like the one thing that you have from your wedding after that day is photos. And you want to get those right. It's not like you can recreate your wedding day and like make all these fake poses if your roommate from college messes that up. So plan ahead, hire a professional photographer. That's it. Outside of that, do what you want to do. But those are my two hobby horses. I told my mother-in-law that and she's like, oh, I thought you would have said like a professional like pastor, officiant. I'm like, nah, the DJ is more important than me. I know, I know like my job well enough to know that DJ is more important than me. Now imagine this, here's the hypothetical situation. Imagine you hire your professional DJ, you hire your professional photographer and that photographer shows up and as they arrive, they're ready to take all the photos. Everything has been prepared. You've done all the hard work to get your wedding just right. You've invested tons of money in this beautiful ceremony. And as the photographer shows up, you hand them your phone. And you say, actually, if you could leave your camera supplies zipped up in its bag, that'd be great. I want you to only take Snapchats of my wedding. <laughs> that'd be absurd, right? Like, it's like, okay, I only want you to take Snapchats and put those on my story. And just imagine for a second that you can't screenshot or save your story, but that would be absurd. Why? Because Snapchats are temporary, right? It's a temporary place to put photos. And it would be absurd to go to all of the work, to obsess for months about how your wedding is going to go, to make this incredible financial investment, to get everything right, to go to all the work, to take these photos exactly how you want. And all you're left with are Snapchats that last for 24 hours. It would be absurd to fixate so much on something that's so temporary. It would make no sense. Here's what we're going to see in Luke 12 tonight. We're going to see that Jesus is going to tell us that there is another area of absurdity that all of us are living with. Another area where we have become fixated on something that is temporary. Something just as temporary as Snapchats, but so often we fail to recognize it. And it's because we're fixating on the temporary that we are actually being robbed from something that is, has eternal worth. What Jesus is going to show us is that our fixation on money and possessions is actually robbing us from something that has eternal worth. Being rich towards God. And so tonight we are going to look at Luke 12, read this parable. And the question we're going to keep coming back to over and over again is, is your fixation on that which is temporary robbing you from that which is eternal? So if you got a Bible, like I said, Luke 12 is where we're going to be at. Let's read that together. Starting in verse 13. It says this. Someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told him a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? 
I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But then God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Is your fixation on the temporary robbing you from that which is eternal? We're going to see three ways our fixation on the temporary robs us from the eternal tonight and clouds our vision, prevents us from seeing what the reality is. The first one is our fixation on the temporary prevents us from seeing what life is really about. Look back at how this story starts. So verse 13, someone from the crowd. So Jesus is teaching and in the midst of his teaching, this person blurts out, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now pause for a second. If somebody in connection group this week told you that maybe their parents died a few months ago and now the will is being read and their brother is trying to take a, their, their portion of the inheritance, what would, what would your counsel be? Like literally think about what would your advice be to someone in your connection group if you found out that their brother was hoarding a portion of the inheritance? How would you help that person? What would you say? What would your response be? Oh man, have, have you talked to him? Have you confronted him? Have you explained why that's wrong? Have you gone to him in a, maybe a spirit of gentleness? Or maybe even, you know, there is a time and place to bring legal, like to bring legal like ways to pursue this into this. Maybe that's the path you should start considering. What would your advice be if literally someone in your connection group said their, their brother's not dividing the inheritance? Look what Jesus' response is. Verse 14. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. You know what Jesus is basically saying here? This isn't my concern and it shouldn't be your concern. What? Like a brother is doing a terrible thing to another brother and Jesus's response is, you know what? I'm not judge and you shouldn't be concerned about it either. Would that have ever been the response you would have thought to give the person in your connection group? Now is Jesus saying that there's never a time and place to like work out the details of an inheritance? No, I don't think he's saying that. But what Jesus is doing is revealing to this brother that he is willing to trade something that has eternal worth, his brother's soul, for that which is temporary, abundance and possessions. He's willing to trade something that has eternal worth for that which is temporary. It'd be like, like us dividing our, like between our siblings over monopoly money. Like, you know, your siblings stole money in Monopoly. All of us have done it. All of our siblings have done it. And it frustrates the bejeebers out of all of us. 
Park's place was mine. You know it. Solomon Christopher Jones, he's the worst. It's my brother. <laughs> Thief. I actually love Monopoly. Imagine how absurd it would be if you allowed Monopoly money to divide your relationship with your brother. It'd be insane. Why? Because it's temporary. But what's Jesus saying? Just because the, there's years attached to our literal currency doesn't mean it's not temporary. This is a temporary thing. And what Jesus is saying is our fixation on that which is temporary is blinding us from what our life is supposed to be about. That's the first thing. Look at verse 15. Here's the condemnation that Jesus, the way that he challenges this brother. He says, watch out and be on guard against first all greed. And then second, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. He's saying that, yes, there might be a time and place to approach your brother, but not because you're trying to get something temporary at the cost of something eternal. Rather, maybe the time to confront your brother is for the sake of something eternal, like in gentleness, I'm going to go and say, I'm seeing sin in your life. But this brother is getting that order wrong. Why? Because he is not watched out against all greed and because he thinks his life is in the abundance of his possessions. Our fixation on the temporary causes us to miss what our life is about. Your life is not in your bank account. Your life is not in your possessions. Watch out for all greed. Now, here's what I think is true for a lot of us. When we think about the concept of greed, I think we often think of kind of the extravagant, lavish, reckless, selfish living that just is blowing cash. But there's actually multiple forms of greed that we are supposed to watch out for. In fact, greed is often so subtle, this intense desire where we're willing to sin in order to get something. It's more subtle than that. Greed, yes, sometimes looks like extravagant spending for selfish reasons, but often greed also looks like obsessing over hoarding money so that we can get a false sense of security. I'm so concerned about the number in my bank account because I just want to feel safe. I just want to feel control. And I, feel, I believe the lie that if the bigger my bank account is, the more stability I can bring into my life. And I'm looking to money to give me a sense of stability. For some people, that's how greed manifests itself in your life. Not so much the wild living, the reckless spending, the selfishness, doing back alley deals that are crazy, but rather seeking a sense of stability and safety through money. I'm going to hoard all of it that I can. That's a form of greed. I think another one that will actually be more common for us in this kind of generation, different from our parents, when you think about the way, the traditional ways greed manifests itself in maybe older generations, that often looks like a constant upgrading of physical possessions. Buying a new couch, buying a new house, buying a new car, just constantly upgrading new possessions. Now that, again, might be a struggle for some of us in this room, but I think more often for people our age and our generation, what the, the struggle with greed is going to be looking, look, will look like the constant pursuit of a greater experience, not necessarily a physical possession. 
We might live in smaller houses, have less quality materials than our parents, but I guarantee that you probably have gone to more concerts, more events, done more random weekend trips than your parents ever did at your age. That typically is more common for us. Yeah, maybe I won't be greedy in the things I buy, but I'm going to be greedy in the things I do. I'm going to have this constant pursuit of experiences. And maybe greed when it came to choosing a, God, a job for your parents looked like which job gives me the most money, the best benefits, the most stability. Probably for us, the way greed will manifest itself when we choose jobs is more like which job will give me the most freedom to do what I want to do. Which job will give me the most ability to live in a cool place. Which job will, sound, will have the greatest wow factor at a 10-year graduation reunion. Greed is so subtle. It's not just corporate people in white collars making crazy deals that are ruining other people's lives. It can also look like us hoarding, us pursuing, pursuing an abundance of not physical possessions, but experiential possessions. It's this intense self-centered desire for more. That might be a bigger bank account. It might also be experiences, things like that. And what Jesus is saying is those things are temporary. There's, they are not what your life is about. Your life is not in how cool your job sounds. Your life is not in how much stability you can create with a bank account. Your life is not in the abundance of possessions. Now, why is that the case? Well, he answers that with this parable. Verse 16, he says this. Then he told him a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Notice what challenge Jesus gives to this rich fool. What is the thing that he says he's foolish about? Notice he doesn't say, you fool, your farmland was very productive. You are a great farmer. He doesn't say, you fool. You had barns. What does he say? You fool. You don't realize that your life's demanded of you tonight. You don't realize how short your life is. You don't realize how temporary your possessions are. He's not saying that it's wrong to have money or it's wrong to have wealth. There's a reality that many of you and all of us just given where we live in the world have been blessed with material goods. We are not necessarily sinning because we have money or possessions. But we sin when we fixate on them and are obsessed about them. And when everything in our life orients around them and we base all of our decisions and all of our values on trying to possess and acquire and maintain something that is temporary. 
when we live to have great Snapchat photos. That's where the sin is. And here's the beauty of what Jesus is calling this man to. On the one hand, when you hear maybe this story of, hey, don't store up for yourself riches. You might be thinking like, oh man, that sounds like really harsh. But what would be the most loving thing for me to do at your wedding if I saw your photographer taking pictures of the Snapchat, with Snapchat? It would be for me to come up to them or come up to you and say, don't you know those won't last? Don't you know that those are temporary? This wedding that you've put so much time and effort and obsessed about, you're taking photos that won't last. The most loving thing I could do is point you to something that is real and would last. And Jesus is telling him, you fool, don't you realize your life is demanded of you tonight? Your life is short. And what happens with all of these barns and things in them? Whose will they be? Your life is demanded of you tonight and whose will they be? They will be gone. You're not gonna take them with you. Before you even get on the plane to your honeymoon, the Snapchats of your wedding will be gone. Don't fixate on what is temporary in exchange for that which is eternal. Your life is short. We live pretty regularly with a constant denial of death. Like I and you most likely didn't necessarily think about our in, like impending death that is coming here shortly. It's not necessarily a regular thought that we have. We, especially as kind of 18 to 24 year olds, we don't think often about death. And it's probably likely that many of you will live till you're 80. But even that's not guaranteed. But even if you did make it to 80, think about what 80 years is in comparison to an eternity. It's so short. What is 80 years compared to 800 years? 80 years compared to 8,000. 80 years compared to 80,000. To 800,000. To 8 million. To 80 million. It's nothing. It's so short. And we deceive ourselves by thinking that we have so much time. And what Jesus is telling him is, you fool, don't you know your life is demanded of you tonight? You obsessed about acquiring this and then you obsessed about maintaining it. I'm gonna build more barns. You have fixated on something that is so short and temporary. So there's about 800 chairs in this auditorium. And I've been thinking about like, so Grayson, you are in this chair right here. Picture this chair, one chair representing 80 years. That's one life. And then there's 799 other chairs. Who is the fool to live for the one chair Grayson is sitting in or to fixate on the 799? to live in a way that matters for the 799 and not just the one. As your life is short, don't fixate on that which is temporary and be robbed from that which is eternal. Jesus exposes another problem with this rich fool. Verse 21, 
He says this, that is how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He's looking at this rich fool and he says, this is how it is with the one who's rich here on earth, rich, has an abundance of temporary possessions, but is not rich towards God. You see this parable, what Jesus is doing is he's not condemning people from, for being rich, but instead he is calling you to true riches. He's not saying don't be rich, but what he's saying is be rich in that which is eternal. He's calling you to something greater. So there's a really old story that highlights this in an awesome way. I have never read this book, full disclosure. It's written kind of in old archaic English. And so every time I try, I get bogged down pretty quick. Maybe someday I will, but Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, there's been like some renditions made that maybe are a little bit more accessible, uh, but there's a story in kind of the second book. There's multiple books. John Bunyan wrote it. And in the second book, there's uh, a character named Christiana. And her and this other character named Mercy are traveling and they end up at the interpreter's house. And I know old archaic English, weird names, just get over that right now. It's kind of fun once you think about it. So Christiana, Mercy, they show up at interpreter's house and interpreter begins to take them through various rooms in his house. And eventually they come to a room and in this room, they see a cage. And in the cage is a man named Muckrake. Great name. I do not know why like that didn't make my top 10 list for crew, but maybe it will if we have a fourth. Muckrake, good old muckrake. <laughs> maybe, maybe muckrake could be a good commentator name. He likes it. All right, muckrake. And uh, we'll come up, maybe no last name, kind of like Madonna. Yeah, muckrake. Muckrake and whatever my name was, I'll have to remember it. Something Iron Hills. Rich, Rich Iron Hills. There we go. Wow. Now I'm kind of convicted that that's the name I picked. But rich towards God. Am I right? Let's go. Amen. Love that. Okay, so in this room, there's an iron cage. And inside, as interpret, what they see, Mercy and Christiana interpreter, is this man named Muckrake. And Muckrake, can, it says, can only look downward. And he is holding a muckrake. And with this muckrake, he is raking together, gathering together straw and stubble and small sticks and dust. And as they're watching this, eventually a bean, kind of this celestial bean comes over muckrake and holds out a crown. And he is offering to trade muckrake this beautiful crown for his muckrake. But muckrake continues to look down, continues to gather small sticks and straw and dust, not ever considering the trade for the crown. And here is what interpreter and Christiana say in, in light of this. Christiana says, is this a picture of the world? And interpreter says, yes. And eventually he says this. Christiana comes and she says, uh, how often do we fail to pray the prayer of Proverbs 30, verse 8, which says, give me neither riches nor poverty. An interpreter says this, that prayer has lain by till. It is almost rusty. Give me not riches is scarce the prayer of one in 10,000. Straws and sticks and dust with most are the great things now looked after. With that, Christiana and Mercy wept and said, it is alas too true. 
this story of a man who could only look downward at straws and sticks. And what interpreter says is that for most, these are the great things now looked after. There is a celestial crown being offered, a crown of glory. But how often are we fixated with small sticks? The problem wasn't that this farmer was, had a productive land. The problem wasn't that he had barns. The problem was that he was filling it with small sticks. Don't live for something so inconsequential. Don't allow your life to be about filling barns with small sticks. Jesus is saying this is how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself here on earth who stores up dust and small sticks, only looking downward, not seeing the glory and beauty of eternal riches God is offering to them. We are muckrake, fixated on small sticks and dust and not rich towards God. Jesus is offering an invitation tonight, an invitation to trade the muckrake for the crown, to trade a life devoted to gathering small sticks to a life that is devoted to the eternal things of God, to not be so fixated on that which is temporary that you miss living a life that has eternal worth. You might ask, what does that look like? Well, it looks like walking in obedience to God. It looks like cultivating an inner Christ-likeness. It looks like living for the sake of others and not just yourself. Live for that which has eternal value. Life is short. Here's the beauty of all this. Eventually, as you go through the gospel of Luke, what you come across is a cross when Jesus Christ would go to the cross to die for us. And here's what Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 says about that moment. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. What is ever going to enable us to trade a muckrake for a crown? It's knowing that Jesus traded the eternal riches of the heavenly throne room for the poverty of our sin. Why? So that we could have true riches. So that we could have an an inheritance that would never be threatened or fade. Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that we could be rich in him. And when we see that, when we see that he exchanged, when that exchange happened, we will be able to be people who will exchange muckrakes for crowns. Live for that which has eternal value. Don't live for the temporary. One of my favorite stories is the story of a man named Jim Elliott. So Jim Elliott lived uh, in the 40s and 50s. And he went to college at Wheaton and well at Wheaton, he became just uh, got a vision for God's heart for the nations. He got a vision for living his life for things that have eternal value and not for things that only have temporary worth. 
And so he began to hear of a tribe down off the coast of Ecuador that needed the gospel, that had limited contact with the outside world. And he had a conviction that if these people didn't hear the gospel, they would perish. And so he and a group, small group of people moved to Ecuador to begin language training, to learn Spanish, to try to pick up on as much of the native language as they could. Eventually he got married, had a kid, and for two years lived in Ecuador with this team, preparing to try to make contact with the Aka Indians. And so eventually the time came for them to begin trying to make contact with them. So they would fly over and it started really small. They would make, drop like gifts for the Aka Indians off, trying to just establish some connection. And eventually they began to reciprocate and give gifts back. And they thought, okay, the time is right. Let's go and camp out on the beach. We've learned some Akan phrases. Let's try to make contact with this remote isolated tribe. And so the five of them went and camped on the beach and eventually, as they're kind of shouting these Aachen phrases into the jungles, three Aachen uh, Indians came out and spent the day with them. And they were really encouraged. It was an incredible time. They felt like they were making connections. They were giving and receiving gifts. They were laughing. They were trying to learn some new words in the Aka Indian language. And they were excited. They were encouraged. But little did they know that another group from the Aka village left. And they began walking through the jungles and they were more suspicious of these foreigners that had come. They didn't trust them. And they thought, we're gonna get rid of this problem right now. And so this group of Aka Indians went to the beach and speared down all five of those missionaries. Jim Elliott was 27. He died for the sake of the gospel. And here's what he wrote in a journal while he was at Wheaton in 1949. On October 28th, here's what he wrote in a journal. He said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The fool in our story was the one who lived for that which was temporary. The one who didn't realize his life was short. The one who didn't realize that his life is not in the abundance of his possessions. The one who didn't realize that he wasn't rich towards God. He was the fool. But you know who is not a fool? He who gives that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. Through Jesus' poverty, he is offering you a richness that you cannot lose, an inheritance that cannot be threatened. And it is not foolish to live for that. It is foolish to live for the one chair. It is foolish to go to all the work of a wedding only for a Snapchat picture. That is what is foolish. What's not foolish is recognizing that there are people in this world that don't have access to the gospel and saying, God, by God's grace and power, he will use me to do something about it. Jim Elliott had a vision of eternity that compelled him to live in a way that had eternal value. Is your fixation on the temporary robbing you for, from the eternal worth that God has for you? Guys, we're gonna go on a retreat this weekend. And 
it's going to be a blast. DJ Rough Around the Edges is going to crush it. I talked to him today. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to laugh a bunch. We are going to dance. We're going to sing. We're going to play volleyball. We're going to watch the freshmen lose, and it's going to be fantastic. But we also have 48 hours, 48 hours to make ourselves available to God, to pull away and to seek an encounter with God in a unique way that maybe we aren't always as aware of or sensitive to in just the fullness of life. And the thing that I would hate is if these 48 hours stayed just a 48-hour experience with God and didn't translate to a 48-year impact in your life. I really believe that the 48 hours that we have planned could have an impact for the next 48 years of your life and beyond. And so, God, guys, these moments in our ministry and these moments in your life, they don't come super often. And what I always want to do is to come into these times with expectation and anticipation of what God is going to do in my life. And if you haven't heard the content for the entire weekend is trying to see God's heart for the nations. And those who are most compelled by God's heart for the nation, I have observed are the ones who are most transformed by the gospel, who do the most for the gospel here and all around the world. It's a topic that if we can see God's heart for his glory to be known across the whole world, it will have tremendous impact in your life and in our, on our campus and to the ends of the earth. And so what I actually want to do, we don't do this very often. It's been a while since we've done it, but I actually want to physically get into a posture to be prepared for this weekend. To physically posture ourselves and ask God that the next 72 hours of our life, the next 48 hours at this retreat would not just come and go, but would actually be a transformative moment in your life as an individual and in your life and in our life as a ministry. And so I actually want all of us to get down on the floor on our hands and knees. And as you're moving, the band is coming up now. So you can begin to get down on the floor. We're actually going to pray this way for this weekend. In light of this parable, in light of God's glory living for eternity, I want us to posture ourselves and ask God to speak directly to us at this retreat. And so I, we're going to give you a few minutes here to pray. Pray for what you've seen in the scripture tonight. Pray for the ways that God is convicting you of living for that which is temporary and not for that which is eternal. Pray that God would do an incredible work in your life this weekend to see his heart for the nations and to embrace his call for your life. And then we're going to respond in worship after we pray for a few minutes here. Thanks for listening to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. For more information about Salt Company, you can visit saltcedarfalls.com.